You're listening to Drinking Socially, the official Untapped podcast, your weekly look into what's happening in the Untapped community and the world of beer. I'm Kyle. And I'm Tim. Drinking Socially is released every Wednesday morning and can be found at podcast.untapped.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. And before we get into it, let's get something to drink. That one had a little spray. Yeah, careful. Uh, Today, we are cracking open a new release from Indie Brewing Company here in Los Angeles. This is Real Thick. It is a New England-style double IPA. Now, hold on. Real Thick is the name R-E-A-L-T-H-I-C-C. So what's it brewed with? This is an 8% New England-style double IPA. It is brewed with Mandarina Bavaria and Citra Hops. Smells really good. It smells super juicy, really... um, Does it smell thick? No, it actually smells kind of thin. See, the thing with IPAs, and especially double IPAs, is that um, they typically have a lot of hop aroma. And when you taste them, the the hop aroma that you're getting is balanced out with a lot of sweetness. Yep. Um, There's a lot of sweet in that. Okay. I just took a sip. The bitterness is coming in at the end there. What is that flavor? Because that it's almost candy-like. That's uh, a part of the description. I read candy-like in there. I'm going to pull it up really quick. I'm getting almost like a, a Starburst flavor. Or, you know, okay, so no, 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 no. The, um, the hard candies. You go, okay, you go to like a round table pizza. And you, very specifically, you go to a round table pizza parlor. And you walk up to one of the, like, machines that have the little the sticky feet in them. Uh-huh. You've got the ones that have, uh, like, the stickers. The, um, and then you've got the one with the hard-candied, fruit-shaped, like, sugar things. And they're, they're colored like a banana. Yes, I know what you're talking about. Okay, what are those called? Smarties? Those aren't no, Smarties. No, Smarties are the little tube, the, the yeah. coin-looking things runts runts nerds runts yeah okay so runts all right so part of the description here is it's notes of tangerine raspberry and peach candy definitely clear granted it's hard to see through our semi-opaque plastic cups that we're using right now but it does not look as though you cannot see through it in a proper glass really carbonated too. yes i noticed that there the bubbles are going crazy in here do we should we say mouthfeel is there a lot of mouthfeel to this I feel it in my mouth. If that's if that's where we're going, I I'll be I need to be taught about that. Yeah, I don't. I'm not going to swish it around. I'm not <laughs> the uh, the really enjoying it though. Have any of you had this one? Let us know what you thought on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram by tagging us at Untapped. So I know both of us recently got back from our respective vacations. Where did you go, Tim? Um, the family and I ended up, uh, we flew out of LAX to Vegas uh, to visit some family there, uh, rented a car, and drove ourselves out to Zion, actually. Out, out in, what is that, southern Utah? Yes, indeed. Okay. Um, we love getting out and seeing the national parks, and it's been on my wife's list for a long time to get out there and see the beauty. Um, and it, it did not disappoint. Um, like a three-hour drive out of Vegas, um, cross a little bit of Arizona up into Utah, a tiny little city outside of the National Park, and then you just head right in, and so many trails and just beautiful mountains, uh, rivers, and just picturesque like you wouldn't believe. I, you've actually been there. I've, I was there back, I believe, in 2011. 
and it was a it was a short like during the hottest month of the year back in July. We were there for a couple days, um, and it was it was even at the time uh, no like super great camera phones. You know, I didn't bring my whole uh, landscape photography setup or anything like that. It was just really awesome to go there and and. Drink it all in, if you would. <laughs> just experience it, it yeah, not just, worry. Yeah, just go there. And we did a, um, there was this, I don't know what you would call it, but kind of like a gorge where it had these these two huge rocks on either side. And you would hike down this pathway of this winding river. The Narrows is what it's referred to as. Okay, so we I must have done that, that Yes, part we would love park. to do that. It's not so feasible with a little guy. No. Um, but we, we hiked out to the start of the Narrows. It felt super dangerous when we did it at the time, <laughs> and I was very, very unprepared. Uh, but it was it was really fun. It, yeah, Once-in-a-lifetime kind of experience. Yes, definitely need to go back and do that. The, they look, that section of it looks beautiful. And then, fortunately, on our way out of the park, there's a nice little uh, brew, brewery and brew pub right outside of the gate um, called Zion Brewing Company. Aptly named, I yes, suppose. Yes, exactly. We stopped in there, <laughs> sat out on the patio, um, enjoyed the views, and um, enjoyed a uh, a pint of, I believe it was their session uh, pale ale. Probably went really well with the kind of changing the seasons out in that, that area and kind of starting to warm up and, you know, yeah, lighter. A- after a few miles of hiking, it was definitely uh, welcomed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so yourself, you went to almost the exact opposite climate. Kind of, yeah. I mean, uh, Zion does get snow at at times. It does get snow. For us, it it was overcast, but mostly deserty. I I would say it is probably the complete antithesis of the place that we currently live. Uh, (laughs) The the beautiful, uh, nearly always sunny Southern California. Um, I took a trip all the way up to Fairbanks, Alaska, Hopefully, the 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 hope the hope during our whole trip was that we would see the aurora borealis, and it's I guess known that during the months of October through kind of March, early April time, um, that's when it's supposed to be cool enough. I guess that the skies are are clear, dark enough so that you can see the aurora. Because I guess the aurora goes year round up in in that part of the world. But um, we got there and. A lot of the time, it was pretty foggy and kind of cloudy. Um, we had to wait until, I think it was the third day of our trip. We were there for five days. And on that third day, we just drove out to kind of the middle of nowhere. It was this big, open kind of um, aviary field, a bunch of, like, where birds stop when they are trying to uh, get warm. <laughs> and it, here we are, out sitting in the car. It is eight degrees outside oh, no. and we're waiting for the northern lights to show up and there, thankfully <laughs> thankfully there is an app out there for that a literal app that tells us hey in 15 minutes you should probably go outside and go see the the aurora because you'll probably be able to see it from your location and it had this this huge kind of heat map following across uh all of northern canada all the way up to the fairbanks alaska area of here they come. Like here, here come the whatever coronal mass ejections from the sun and and the electromagnetic waves and all that other sciencey stuff. Here they come towards your area. You should probably go outside and go take a look. And uh, thankfully, it it was spot on. It was perfect. I got an app on my phone to take long exposure photography. Worked out pretty well. Uh, we went the next night and the the sightings weren't as great uh, on an official tour. But um, 
yeah, some really, really cool photography. Google Photos also does a really great job of combining a whole bunch of different photos into one and sort of like automatically stacking them on top of each other. They're like auto animation feature. Yeah, yes. yeah pretty I've much. I've seen that with my camera roll now that I've started using it. It was super, super cool because what it, what it would do is it would combine the photos and then I could export them into a like looping video that I could post on Instagram. Ah, so yes, I did see that. It was very, very cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so what about... What about, what about beer? What about beer? Um, so I found myself, unfortunately, and or fortunately or unfortunately, in the same bar four nights in a row. Now, this place, though, was spectacular. They had uh, like 30 rotating taps, and because of the amount of foot traffic into this downtown location, they were changing out two or three kegs every night. Whoa. So, yeah really surprising and i was able to try a whole bunch of different uh alaska beers i really kind of because i was only going to one place i was really expanding um what i would typically get at any place either a, a bar or a brewery or whatever um i was getting bear light stouts i had a, a doppelbach which i i don't think i've ever had before okay um I was I was basically getting like these badges in the app for styles that I never level up. I am always on the hopped up or hop down or you know all, all these other ones and here I am getting like Sweden and you know like th- all this stuff that I've never gotten before. It was really it was a great experience um but I also checked out uh Hoodoo Brewing Company over in uh Fairbanks Alaska. And they ha- they kind of embody this very German-centric uh, beer culture, and they have a sign on the wall that says Prost, and uh, they have these cars out front. Two, two, let me see if I can grab a photo. They have these cars out front that look like these almost ambulary-type vehicles with a rolling door for i believe either distributing beer or selling beer out the back i picture the uh the classic milkman but bringing beer by you can see how much snow is in there wow. too that is very cool cool right yes and that's gonna that's tr- it's a so it's like a red delivery truck um white sign on the side has the name yeah but in a snowy background so you can imagine how that's going to pop <laughs> well, but, but it, can you imagine that driving down the road on a snowy day you yes. wouldn't you wouldn't miss oh. it for sure. For the, and it, it, hoodoo guys here. Yeah, exactly. And the the wild part was standing outside with my my flight of, of tasters, standing outside and setting one of the tasters down on the table and having it just start moving across the table because the table was had about a centimeter of ice over the top. Oh boy. Of it. Yeah. And and even just setting the glass on there, it wouldn't it wouldn't melt, it wouldn't impact it at all. It just was completely frozen outside it was a it was a completely different experience than i have ever had before Uh, it it sounds pretty amazing the beer was good all right let's get into some of the community updates and some of the more recent additions to the untapped app what have we added recently so one of the first things up are for you twitter users out there uh, we now have the ability to convert anybody who you mention in a check-in comment to their Twitter name when you share to Twitter. So when you're writing your um, comment on your check-in, 
and you at mention someone. Like uh, thanking them for a beer yes. or saying, hey, I'm hanging out with Tim here recording the Untapped podcast. Exactly. If you share that out to Twitter when you post it, then we'll do that conversion on our side, and that way they will get the mention on Twitter. And this obviously means that you don't have to have the same username between Untapped and Twitter. We're going to do the matching for you, basically, in that, in that part, and they'll work on both platforms. Exactly. Nice little, nice little addition there so that you can make sure that you give a shout out to your friends on that platform as well. Unrelatedly, uh, we, we have actually changed the badge indicators on your profile. So if you go to profile and tap badges, you'll see the indicators for any badges that are level 100 now have a green background. They used to have a yellow background and now you can more easily identify all the badges that you have max leveled out on your badge page. And last up in the recent updates for you uh, privacy-minded people, you can now remove yourself from check-ins that you have been tagged in. So when you check in, you can tag your friends. Um, and if somebody has tagged you and you do not wish to be tagged on there, you can go to the check-ins detail screen. You can tap the more button in the top right. And then you can remove yourself from that tag. So you will no longer be associated with it. This could be either accidental or if you are mistakenly tagged in a particular check-in, it's much easier to now control your ability to either be tagged or not be tagged in those check-ins. And of course, we've got some sponsored badges, some brand new sponsored badges to look at this week. I'm really excited for for all of these here, especially some some local ones to me. Um, what what are these new badges, Tim? All right, first up, we have America Stout 2018. This is from our friends at Left Hand Brewing. Uh, this is for checking into one Left Hand Brewing Milk Stout Nitro during the month of March. So you have about a week and a half left to unlock this badge. This is one of those uh, bottled beers that's got the the nitro bubbles, right? One of the ones that you you grab and pour over just super fast into a glass. Oh yes, it's definitely this activates the cascading like um, bubbles and it creates a nice thick foamy head on it. It looks like you're being really really vigorous with the beer. Like you shouldn't be doing this, but it's absolutely one hundred percent what you should be doing with a with a nitro infused beer. Definitely, and with uh, with its slogan "Pour hard," I would expect as much. Yeah. yeah. Next up on our list, we have North Carolina Beer Month is Coming 2018. This is from the North Carolina Brewers Guild. So every April is North Carolina Beer Month, where they celebrate and focus on all of the breweries that are uh, in North Carolina. When when the state has over 250 breweries in it, you got to get started a little early if you're going to hit them all. Seriously, this is sort of a hometown badge for, for us untapped folks, too. We've got our uh, untapped HQ over in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. You can unlock this badge by checking into one beer from the list of North Carolina breweries that are on our blog during the month of March. So once again, you've got about a week and a half left to unlock this one. Uh, some of these breweries include Asheville Brewing Company, Duck Rabbit Craft Brewery, some more knowns such as New Belgium, Oscar Blues, and Sierra Nevada, which all have breweries opened in that state now. That's incredible. I, I actually had no idea that that even Oscar Blues and Sierra Nevada are brewing out of North Carolina. That's super awesome that these qualify. Definitely. And you don't, again, you don't have to be in North Carolina, around North Carolina, in a brewery in North Carolina, just checking a beer from one of these breweries on the blog, and it is all yours. I'm excited to earn this one. This this one being the one that you were just talking about, not the one that you were about <laughs> know, to talk about. I know about you're now. going for the next one, though. This is <laughs> this is a good local one for us, especially for you living down in the Orange County area. Uh, this next badge is Week of Logic 2018 from our friends at Bottle Logic Brewing. Uh, this will be check into any three beers from Bottle Logic uh, between March 18th and 24th. 
the week of logic, as they refer to it, is their week-long anniversary celebration. I believe this year's is commemorating their fourth anniversary. Um, I'm sure most people who are in the beer scene can remember some of the last week of logic with their classic 8-bit video game theme. It was so cool. All of the different beers that came out during that time and the the different Konami codes. Yes, we had the the up up, the down down, the left right, left right, and then the B A. Yeah. I remember trying to collect as many of those as I could. <laughs> Didn't get too far. But yeah. I mean a week of can releases and a week of going to the brewery. They they had a passport book That's right. and um, That's right. you had to yeah. go and get stamps and I knew people who did it. I saw their Instagrams. They went through and they went every day. And I can't imagine the crowds that were there. Um this year, it looks like it's more of kind of like a Jungle Cruise Explorer theme, which seems really cool. Uh, they've always do some awesome graphics, so I, I think this will be an exciting one. And I think this will really punch up uh, Anaheim, California in those seven cities tour rankings. This is on, it's on number eight right now as of this recording. So I think this will really help improve. It, it'll get Greg out here to Orange County, and we'll be able to go out to Bottle Logic or a place like that. I'm super excited. And last on the list, we have a badge from Dogfish Head Brewing. Uh, this is the official badge for Record Store Day. If you don't know what Record Store Day is, that is one day a year, which this year happens to be Saturday, April 21st, when you are encouraged to visit your local small indie record shop for your music purchases. A lot of artists tend to do special releases, um, special splits, um, just a lot small of... Small EPs, Small EPs, like yes. Yeah. Definitely just unique things to try and kind of celebrate the independent music scene and um, get you out of big box stores into local record shops. Sounds cool. This badge can be unlocked by checking into one Dragons and Yum Yums between March 23rd and April 23rd. This beer is a collaboration with the Flaming Lips, surprisingly enough. Dogfish Head has a history of doing collaborations with many musical artists, and this one just lines right back up with that. Although I will admit that it seems like most bands are starting to get into this beer collaboration thing. Into the into the beer scene you're, you're talking about. Yeah, I, I think this one sounds really good, though. It's brewed with dragon fruit, yum berry, passion fruit, pear juice, and it's supposed to be a tart pale ale. It sounds incredible. Being being a lover of the kind of sour hoppiness, I think this will be right up my alley. Yeah, black carrot juice. Uh, I can't say I know anything about that. <laughs> Neither do I, but it sounds it incredible. It sounds interesting. Uh, knowing Dogfish Head, it will definitely be a different kind of beer. Want to show off your love of Untapped? Check out our online store and pick up Untapped branded glassware, shirts, sweatshirts, hats, and more. Go to store.untapped.com. Dot com and enter the coupon code podcast at checkout to get 20% off all orders. That's store.untapped.com coupon code podcast to get 20% off. Let's move on to our style of the week segment and take a look at this week's featured beer style. Here's Tim with more about a beer that has probably permeated the beer scene more than any in recent memory and one that I know fills my fridge at home right now. Today we are taking a look at the, the New England style IPA, which is very appropriate being that we are enjoying a New England style double IPA. It's gone though. It's, I know. It's, it's all gone. You need me to get, can't. should I get another one? <laughs> I think you might need to. <laughs> For all you hop lovers out there, you're most likely familiar with the classic West Coast IPA. Uh, bursting with its citrus, piney hoppiness, and just basically heavy doses of bitterness that just leave a tingling on your tongue. Uh, however many hops you can cram in there, that's what we're going to do. 
nice as, and cr- as bitter as it can go. Crisp, clear, refreshing, but also leaving that bitterness on the end. Uh, contrary to that, the Northeast IPAs, which have grown in popularity just like crazy lately, um, these feature more like tropical aromas and flavors, um, which come from the use of English yeasts and hops like citra and mosaic. They're sometimes described, not necessarily um, given given the absolutism of hazy and juicy. You can have a hazy New England style. You can also have a juicy New England style. You can also just have a New England style. Doesn't They aren't mutually exclusive. There are subsets upon subsets right. upon subsets. Just depends on how you end up brewing the final product there. Um, these, these New England style IPAs, uh, they tend to feature a softer mouthfeel. Um, this is thanks to lower sulfites in the East Coast water and then the use of oats and wheat in the mash bill. Interesting. So it, it even, I mean, yes, it's a regional thing, but we don't get our real crisp West Coast IPA flavor from Los Angeles water. No. no. <laughs> or even, you know, uh, Pacific Ocean water. <laughs> You're saying New England style even gets its, its sort of ingredient build from an actual regional water. I would say for, well, obviously everyone's doing a nor like a new England style IPA these days. So you're not going to get the same, but if you go back traditionally, to that, traditionally, if you go back sure. to that area, you're likely to get that sort of that feel from the ingredients there. Interesting. Um, and as we kind of mentioned, you know, these new England style IPAs, they have a softer bite. They, they don't have as much bitterness. They focus more on, as you said, the juiciness, the citrus. Can the, I say mouthfeel now? You can say that whenever you want. Okay. <laughs> and I will giggle every time. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. It, but it's got kind of that um, almost frothy. Have you ever had a, a Kern's Nectar? I have. Okay. I, I feel like a lot of the New England style IPAs I've had kind of fall in that territory of just like you, you have concentrated whatever juice you are emulating into a beer form that is just this seemingly viscous beer that is unlike any kind of IPA or barrel-aged or cask or anything that I've ever had. I, I completely get that reference, and I can see where you're coming from with that. Um, the, basically, the, the hazy appearance, though, on these, it comes from the fact that most of these aren't filtered. So you're getting an, either a partially or a wholly completely unfiltered IPA coming right out of the tank. The idea with the lack of filtering is that you're supposed to drink these as fresh as possible, so there's literally no time to to go through that filtration process. You want to get that fresh tropical hoppiness right away. From from my personal experience, most people who are getting into beer are usually off-put from IPAs because of the bitterness. Um, I, I hear that time and time again from people who aren't as deep into this. Or craft beer is synonymous with bitterness. Exactly. They're like, oh... That IPA, it's so bitter and it just doesn't taste like anything. These new New England IPAs kind of bypass that whole fear, um, being that the bitterness is not as prevalent and the kind of the tropical and the fruity citrus is um, more upfront. Uh, Northeast IPAs and New England IPAs, they're, they're opening up the whole IPA category to a whole new audience that might not be as into the overly hopped, bitter, bomb west coast style yeah and, and like i was describing before it kind of conjures up these ideas of beverages that you've had before and with 
with traditional IPAs, American IPAs, you're not really able to kind of pinpoint like, oh, this is this either tastes like lawnmower juice or dishwater. If you've never had one before, they can be really off-putting in that that perspective. But when you're talking about something that is so juicy and so kind of juice-like, mm-hmm. it, it reminds you of beverages you've had before, and and you can kind of draw on some some sort of experience there. I can see that. Yeah. The the origins of the style basically are that it kind of evolved organically. And most people kind of point at um, Hillstead Farm and The Alchemist as being kind of the pioneering Northeast New England breweries uh, that, that started with this style. And now there are, I mean, there are breweries out here in the West Coast now that are specializing only in that style of beer. I, I feel like if a brewery does not have a New England style IPA, then they are falling behind. Kind of, you're like they're missing the... Um... Missing the train a little bit. Well, and now that now that some of the larger side of the craft breweries um, are getting into it, you you can see it coming out more and more. Like I feel like we we're hitting the pinnacle mm-hmm. when all of the local craft breweries have done it, and now it's made its way up to the more nationally distributed craft breweries. Right, right. It's it's being made available in twenty four packs by Sierra Nevada, and then they have the the juicy voodoo or whatever that is from New Belgium. That's right. The um. That's the one with the guy on the front, yeah, right? The skeleton. Yeah, okay. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. They have one that is Voodoo IPA right now, and they took that and kind of transitioned it into the hazy New England style. Exactly. Got it. The funny thing is, is that New England style IPA is not an officially recognized style by the Brewers Association. Just kind of one of those subsets that just evolved. But if you think about it, like west coast style isn't necessarily an official style and then you've right. got pacific northwest style and right. you've probably got midwest style and south style like I think i'm pretty it, sure everyone just does their own spin on the ipa and yeah and i think it really helps to helps the consumer when they're going to a bar or a brewery to find a beer that fits their palate and is something that they know that they'll enjoy. I know me personally, I love pretty much every beer style that I've ever had. But when I, when I go to a brewery, except red ales, well, (laughs) we all know how I feel about those. And, and apparently I feel fine about them that when I go to a brewery, I, I will for sure want to try their hazy IPA because I've had so many recently and they're so the, the, the differences between them are so nuanced and you can kind of tell when you've had a great one. You can kind of tell when you've had one that isn't as juicy or it's more hop forward, less mouthfeel. You know, you can kind of start to hyper-specify your tastes in what you like about New England-style IPAs or hazy IPAs. Um, I, I, I just, I'm glad that breweries are not letting the Brewers Association or quote-unquote unofficial styles hold them back from exploring a completely unexplored territory for IPAs and for these these beers that uh, seem to be making so much headway now. Let's look at some of the interesting beer articles that we found this week. The first article we have here comes from craftbeer.com and is perfect for starting off, especially for this episode. Uh, This is entitled Hops Recognized as Herb of the Year by International Association. So the International Association of Herbs? Yes, exactly, which I had no idea existed until I read this. I I didn't know either. All right, so basically the International Herb Association is recognizing hops, which they dub 
green gold. I will I will go with that. Um, as the uh, as the herb herb. Er, uh, let's go with herb. Can we say herb? Because herb sounds like the name. All right. Is <laughs> the herb of the year. Uh, they are recognizing it not only for its use in beer for flavoring, but also its antibacterial properties and its positive effects on skin and hair. Interesting. I don't. We've talked about uh, candles, but we haven't talked about soap, like that, hop soap, beer soap, things like that. I, there's a huge market for them, um, and I, I actually just in Alaska there was a shop that sold beer scented or mm-hmm. beer infused soaps, lagers, stuff like that. It was it was pretty cool. Yeah, I've, I've very I've, bespoke. You I've know? ordered some off of Etsy before. I picked some up at a brewery um, in Vancouver when I was there. So the, the hop soap is definitely, or at least beer infused soap, like you said, is definitely a thing. Interestingly, though, this herb of the year thing is trademarked. So it says in 1991, the International Herb Association established National Herb Week to be celebrated every year during the week prior to Mother's Day. Every year since 1995, the International Herb Association has chosen an herb of the year to highlight. So since 1995, they've had fennel, thyme, mint, lavender, and now hops are are going to be selected. I think that's, you don't think of hops as an herb. I mean, they're definitely a a flowering plant, but you don't think of them like as a a thing you would always cook with. I, I, I can't think of anything that I would use it in other than beer. Let's see, garlic, 2004. Uh, sage in 2001. So the, yeah, I mean, these are traditionally more like cooking things based. You would, yeah, things yeah. you would cook with okay. um, rather than ingredients that you brew with. So it's cool. I, I love that they're featuring them. I wonder, I wonder if anybody's done a beer with garlic. There's got to be. It, it wouldn't be spicy, right? It would, be, you would have to do kind of the sweet uh, caramelized, like oven-baked mm, garlic. Yeah, otherwise it's just going to be harsh. A, astringent and yeah. harsh and, and bitter. Mm. That's, this sounds interesting. I think we're going to have to start doing some home brewing. Untapped.com slash garlic. <laughs> so there's a couple. Dogfish Head. I previously oh, mentioned of course. Dogfish Head. Of course they did something weird. They've got a porter called Garlic Breadth. Mm. So like Garlic Breath, you know. Speaking of garlic, though, in Alaska, I had this pizza. There was this pizza at this pizza place I went to. They had one called uh, Forever Single, and it was just slices (laughs) of garlic over the whole pizza. Yeah, with a garlic sauce. So anyway, garlic. It's not really, we're talking about hops here, but, but garlic seems to be. <laughs> we, we took a little tangent there. Speaking of hops, the top five hops of 2016, according to a survey by the Brewers Association, are as follows. Cascade taking number one, Centennial, Chinook, Simcoe, and Citra rounding out the top five. Are those majority Northwest hops? I know Cascade obviously is, is definitely, but. I believe so. I'd have to dig in a little yeah. deeper on each of these to find out exactly where they come from. So far as I know, yeah, most of those are are those northwestern hops, you know, grown in Oregon and and uh, Washington, and you know, have that real piney kind of citra, obviously citrus flavor. Yeah, well, these are all these are all hops that I recognize and have seen on just about everything that I have enjoyed. I'd be curious to know what. 2017 and even this year so far what the top hops are because i have seen falconer's flight i have seen experimental hop whatever 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 um yeah there's so many different versions out there and i remember exactly the time where i started identifying each of these different 
specific hops, there was an IPA-only festival put on by Modern Times in San Diego, California. Was this the Dank Fest? It was the Festival of Dankness. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> really, really, really great festival. I didn't go last year, but the the first year that they did it, they had these tents that were doing single hopped IPAs, single hopped double IPAs. Surprisingly enough, it it didn't make it taste all the same. You got these real subtle differences between all the different hops that were in there, especially in the single hopped beers. You could tell that Galaxy hops were like really, really complex and kind of flowery, while um, Citra hops, obviously, you know, straightforward, citrus, uh, bright, kind of tangy, punchy. Yeah, it was it just a, a real turning point in my my career in craft beer, just kind of hitting me all at once like, hey, these hops are different. It's not just like a bittering agent, and it's not just a a thing that makes me really like fear. It's a, it, it is really complex and it's a whole, a whole menagerie of different hop flavors that you can utilize. Well, the, um, the citrusy and the, um, the juiciness of the citra definitely shows here. This double IPA we're enjoying right now is all citra and you get nothing but citrus and it's delicious. It is so good. For some perspective in the, uh, great American beer festival in 2017, the competition included over 400 entries for the American style IPA. Well, and we know that American style IPAs are the single most popular style on all of Untapped. Exactly, and their usage of hops is obviously well known, so it ties in perfectly. Yeah, it's really cool. The next article we have here is from foodandwine.com and it is out of this world. A Portland brewery launched the first craft beer into space. This is incredible. So I watched the video. Yes, for this. There, there is a video. There is we a will video. link to it. Yep. For reference here, Bridgeport Brewing out of Portland, Oregon, uh, they built a special cooler and tossed a couple of 22-ounce bottles of their original IPA into it, and then they strapped it to a giant weather balloon. Welcome to our launch site. We got our helium for our balloon, we got our beer, and we got this entire space right here. Beautiful. It wasn't what I expected. Um, I know there was, so there was Ninkasi in Oregon who put a strain of yeast onto a rocket and sent it into space and then brewed with the yeast. This is completely different. This, this kind of exceeded all expectations. Boom. Ready for takeoff. They put the bottle on top of this uh, cooler and set up a GoPro uh, on the opposite side of it. So the, the perspective that you get as this weather balloon is going up into the air is this kind of like uh, serene, it, it kind of it reminds me of the photos that I take on uh, Untapped for my check-ins, but with the spherical earth in the background, basically creating like the greatest photo that you could have for any Untapped check-in ever. Um, they did. They put a depressurized bottle on the outside so you could watch it in the perspective as Kyle was just describing. And they sent it 22 miles into the atmosphere. So obviously you can question whether that's space or not, but it is definitely out of the stratosphere and uh, in close enough. So, so they, they, this, they're claiming this is the first craft beer in space, which as far as I know is true. Um, eventually the pressure causes the weather balloon to explode 
and it plummets back to Earth, which you can watch on the video, which is pretty spectacular to see. So we've uh, tracked it for about 50 miles, but we just lost contact with it, which means it's above 60,000 feet. We'll reacquire the signal once it parachutes back down below 60,000 feet. Um, they ended up having to chase the package about 50 mile or 55 miles away from where they launched it. Uh, they, they rolled up on it. Um, they ended up finding all the gro- all their GoPros that fell off and <laughs> gathering everything up. They cracked, Cra- crashed they, back to earth. Yep. Yeah. They they uh, cracked open the cooler. They pulled out the 22 ounce bottles. They were perfectly intact, and they just popped them open right there. Yeah. I, I feel like that it, it's as much uh, sudsing and kind of like overflow that you would get from any bottle ever I, that's falling just, from that distance. It's just amazing that yeah. they were that they they managed to pack them up tight. I mean, I feel I fear I fear bottles breaking every time I package them up to go through the postal service, opening, let alone sending them into space. Yeah, no kidding. Opening up the refrigerator and, and <laughs> all of them are rattling around like we've got here in the office. It's you never know. You never know. I I'm wondering. I'm wondering if the the beer on top got cold enough to when it came back to Earth, if it felt chilled because of how high up in the air it was and how quickly it would come back down. Because the temperature probably wouldn't um, level off. It wouldn't come back to you know room temperature or the, the outside temperature. It's hopefully cold did it spend enough time up there to cool though see i don't know Uh, the the pressure and the temperature i was so also very surprised that it didn't explode in midair so they that the bottle that you're seeing in the video they did it specifically depressurized Ah. so that it wouldn't explode there you go yeah good thinking that's that's smart an interesting fact though is that the that bridgeport actually had to get faa clearance to do this stunt because of how high this weather balloon was going up. well and how far it went from its original location too that's uh, thankfully it looked like they were doing this kind of in the middle of nowhere just a bunch of fields open yeah. fields and stuff but imagine having to drive up to 55 miles from your original location just to go grab a cooler a cooler sized uh rock rocketing down from the the lower atmosphere uh, it got us talking about it it, it did its re- job it did, yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right let's let's move on then to our next article um this one is all about the history behind cold beer cheese now have you had cold beer cheese i have not i am part I- of the average american who thinks that all beer cheese should be served warm should be served should, yes. as a rule it should be fondued. Uh, fondue or fondant, basically, <laughs> exactly. is, is what you're saying. Exactly. All right. Well, in central Kentucky, beer cheese is served chilled and made with just four ingredients. They are cheddar cheese, garlic, cayenne pepper, and, of course, beer. Probably lots of beer. Hopefully not a, a real fizzy beer. It has to be kind of a has to be a, a pretty flat beer so that when you spin it around and turn it into an actual dip, it doesn't overflow the container that you put it in. That, that mixture of ingredients sounds amazing, but the cold part I'm still struggling with. Okay. All right. Well, writer Garen Pernia tells a story of authentic cold beer cheese in her recently published book, The Beer Cheese Book, which details the history of the cold dip, where it came from, and why it's so appetizing. Now, the original cold beer cheese was made back in 1939 in Winchester, Kentucky, and Johnny Allman and his cousin Joe came up with a recipe so that they could sell more beer at their restaurant. I could see this being really good with, like, 
pretzels, like warm pretzels. If you offset the cold beer cheese with some, you know, warm accoutrement, I think it would it would I, probably be pretty good. Uh, yeah, I can I can maybe, see it. Maybe like a, a celery stick, kind of a nice scooping shovel like vessel for for getting more beer cheese in your maw. Maybe. Yeah, some something that's going to be sturdy because it's got to hold up. Yeah. Yeah, or, you know, crisp and clean, something that kind of offsets that real heavy beer flavor and cheese flavor. Well, Johnny and his cousin Joe thought that by adding beer and cheese into one dish, it would make their restaurant goers order more beer. Because you're getting beer in dishes, you're getting pints of beer probably, and people are weirdly secretive about their recipes. So we don't know necessarily... What Johnny and and his cousin Joe came up with here, but classically, we're thinking cheddar cheese, garlic, cayenne pepper, something spicy, something to kind of offset that beer flavor. And it seems that everyone has their own spin on it, whether it's those four main ingredients or they toss something else in like jalapenos or um, what have you just to give a spin on it. And it may not even be cheddar cheese. So if you're using a different kind of beer, say like a stout, you may want to pair it with a smoked Gouda or, you know, any any kind of beer. And any kind of cheese can make up this cold beer cheese. It's gone from this real classic, I guess classic, 1939 uh, Kentucky cold beer cheese dip to what it is today. So I've had beer cheese. I've had it in in two particular places. One is at Stone's annual festival in uh, San Diego, California. Uh, Mike, Mike's beer cheese. So Mike, I believe, used to work at Stone. He transitioned into a different role. And at their yearly beer festival, he offers up free tastings of different kinds of beer cheese. He'll have different uh, peppers in them. He'll have one called Napalm, which is just loaded with ghost peppers. Oh, I think you told me about that. Oh, my gosh. It is so spicy, but so good. You get a lot of the, um, you just get a lot of savory flavor out of it. Uh, I, I know it can kind of, it sounds a little off-putting, but it's it's on the level, it's not as creamy as like a um, like a chip dip, what you would expect, expect from a, a French onion or in, one of those kind of dips. It's more like a fresh vegetable kind of dip or you can put it on crackers. I actually recently had it in Fairbanks, Alaska on pizza dough. Can't they only have cold things there? The pizza was hot, thankfully. I do love cold pizza. Don't get me wrong. I love cold pizza. I found out about that. (laughs) I do love cold pizza. Hashtag team cold pizza. But at this pizza restaurant in Fairbanks, Alaska, they had these these breadsticks. I'm gonna I'm gonna actually show you a photo. They had a beer cheese breadstick with bacon and jalapenos. Okay, you're you're winning me over on this. You might have to go to Fairbanks now. I, now I know. Now I have a reason to go to Alaska. As if seeing a phenomenon in the sky wasn't enough. Right, right. It, I will say the the beer cheese pizza was almost as, as otherworldly as the Aurora. But here here is a look at that. Oh my gosh! So okay, so you've got dough. You know, like you would expect, just sliced up dough. Mm-hmm. I can see the bacon on top. Yes. Now, are you telling me that that's cold? So this wasn't cold. This was cold beer cheese that was made oh, already. Okay, so they put it on top and then it melts together. Yeah. Okay, but yeah. so is it still you technically got, eating cold uh, beer cheese? You, you, you see, I... You're running into some gray areas. Yeah, you are. And I've, I've made beer cheese before. Okay. Um, at, I, at home. 
mostly with a pale ale. Okay. It, it goes well with. Um, I have also infused or, or I guess, like randled a uh, IPA with a jalapeno before. It's like a, you slice up a jalapeno and you leave it in the beer and let the beer kind of soak it up, yep. soak up all that flavor, and then you make the beer cheese with it. Okay. Um, I have also classically added Worcestershire. Ooh, sauce to it. So you get you get more Smo- a little smokiness in a little, there, like a, a punch of umami okay. in it. Yeah. So it's not only reliant on the cheddar cheese and yeah. the garlic to kind of give you that like it's super savory flavor. You get more kind of a, a well-rounded flavor, in, in my opinion. Yeah, but that's I don't know. This I'm I like seeing. This might be a book that I pick up because it's. Well, it sounds like there can't really be that much to it, right? Yeah. There's got to be more history kind of rooted here in in where how it came to be, how it's evolved since then, and where it is now, and why. I mean, really, when you see folks like Carl's Jr. or Hardee's on the East Coast putting beer cheese on a burger, and yeah, it's the fondue version, but it's still beer cheese. Exactly. And the, this book actually does contain recipes. I believe it, it says it's got 20 or so recipes in it which uh, the writer actually had to kind of come up with on her own being the secrecy behind everybody's individual recipes right i i'm all for you picking this up and you know trying it out and And making a few recipes yeah okay all right all right we can follow up later with some samples (laughs) we've got plenty of beer to add to the cheese Ooh, experimentation yes i don't know if you'd want to add this next beer to the cheese though no, no. I mean, it, it may make it fun. What, what, what were we even talking about? All right. The next one up here we have is from um, Vice's Munchies blog. And this uh, this has been going around recently. Uh, it is Glitter Beers Are Here to Make or Ruin Your Day. Do they take a stance on, on how they feel about it personally over at Vice? Uh, the article did not have a personal flair to okay, it. Okay, all right. It was. It's remained very independent, um, but it definitely gave a lot of interesting information around yeah. what's going on here. So um, we're going to put a link because this is something that you definitely should see. Um, we're not going to be able to describe it very well. I mean, if I had to describe it, I would say it looks like somebody poured a bunch of gold sparkly paint into a pint glass. Yeah, I would say it's almost like, uh, you remember when you were searching for school supplies, New Year's coming up here for school, you go down the glue aisle, I guess uh, it wouldn't be the glue, like the pen aisle, Yes, school supply aisle, and you see the Elmer's like purple glitter I have uh, some of that at glue. home. Okay. That's what it reminds me of. Like just the, the, the glitter is in suspension. So for some context here, um, edible glitter is a thing. And it's been long, um, long used in baking. Um, you've seen it on cakes, cupcakes. Um, it's been used in lattes. Now it is beginning to infiltrate the beer world. So in a latte, I believe it's called a unicorn latte. Am I am I mistaken on that? I, I those are a thing. Okay, I'm sure there is glitter in them. There's got to be glitter somewhere in it. Uh, something uh, named a unicorn, right? Yes, exactly. The big, colorful, pink, purple. Mm-hmm. Looks like there's just giant cotton candy on top of your coffee. Yeah, yes. yeah exactly. Yes, for sure. Obviously. If you think about it, glitter just gets everywhere. It, Having yeah. done craft projects at home, I, you find it for days and days. Weeks, months. Weeks. Yeah. So they're like, hey, you've got some glitter on your face. And you spend 10 <laughs> minutes and you can't get rid of it. Well, how, I mean, but now you're going to put, be putting so, it in your body? Yeah, well, I don't know. So, okay. So the, this is edible glitter. Okay. Um, there, 
for, first and foremost, um, obviously being that it is difficult to get glitter out of everything, um, this isn't going to be the next big thing that's going to happen everywhere because it does take time and effort to get that edible glitter into your beer. You're not just going to run it through your main line. And <laughs> I mean, unless you're going to do all glitter beer and then just, yeah, that's the only ingredient that you've gotten there. Yeah. I, I can understand that being a problem, especially for how quickly a brewer will turn around a, a particular vessel for brewing the next beer that's coming up or, um, you know, put, putting in something that, I mean, even with fruit, I'm sure it poses such a big problem. Uh, in the lines and you know filtering and stuff like that yeah it's got to be a problem so getting back to what you were mentioning about that there there are people who have concerns over you know digesting this glitter but it is it is edible glitter it is made for consumption obviously you want to make sure that there's a high quality safe brand not just some knockoff you don't want to go pick up glitter from the craft store because that's that's not going to go well and there's there's a great there's a great quote in this article which pertains exactly what you're saying and it is uh, I think everyone just worries about the peeing glitter out but it breaks down in your body so quickly that it isn't even an issue. Okay, <laughs> all right. That's, I, I I feel uh, relieved. It looks probably scarier than it actually physically is. Exactly. Uh, then there are quite a few breweries um, that have kind of taken a stab at this. Um, Ska Brewing. Okay. Uh, three weavers here in California, actually just right down the road a bit. Um, there's Bold Missy Brewing in North Carolina and a few others. Um, there's actually the, the Bold Missy, um, their head brewer, Carly Smith, um, she did her take on the glitter beer, and it is an ode to uh, Lisa Frank. If That's you remember cool. that from the 90s yeah. with crazy colors and glitter everywhere, it is called Trapper Keeper. It's so good. It's so appropriate. That is so good. And And looking at it here, it... The interesting bit is that it looks almost like the front of one of those trapper keepers, like the ones that would be filled with uh, with the gold kind of just liquid that's kind of being able to Move be around, pushed around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. with uh, underneath the plastic. Yep, it's got that look to it. it it's very nostalgic, I would say. Um, interestingly enough, it, it has been agreed upon that um, Three Weavers, which is just down the road by um, in Inglewood here. Um, their brewmaster, Alex Knoll, is the first to have created the glittery beer. Nice. That is so cool. I like that it's catching on. I think it's f- for it to be sort of a, a novelty of the beer world, um, and, and especially for it to be something that knowing how detrimental that it could be to brewer's equipment and knowing that it's probably better to add it later in the process either cast mm-hmm. or or with the the actual um with the keg itself mm-hmm. uh it's something that more folks may be willing to try and, and experiment with it, it's no coincidence that they point out in this article that it is mostly women brewers that have been creating this beer um it's kind of like the glittery beer is considered kind of a quintessentially girly garnish but they're trying to kind of take back an industry now that is dominated mostly by men sure yeah and it's it, it gives folks any any anyone from any walk of life the ability to kind of express themselves i think that's that's what beer and its uh impact on the culinary scene is that you can be expressive in this and being able to use whatever ingredients you want especially something that is as kind of um exuberant and uh flashy as literal edible luster dust here it looks beautiful and i would desperately like to seek one of these out so, I mean, it, so would i can you imagine how 
crazy that would look just swirling around in your glass. Even even the uh, tap handle for this over on this Munchies article has rainbow text on it oh. uh, as opposed to their classic tap handles, which are just all white text. It It's very Lisa Frank, Trapper Keeper, like rainbow font. It is very cool. I think, I think it really... It embodies some um, differentiation in craft beer, and it, it is a great way for brewers to be more expressive. I agree completely. I just, I love this. Now it's time to answer some of your questions about Untapped. If you've got any questions for us, send them over using the hashtag AskUntapped on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. This week's question is coming to us from Nick H, and he is curious if there are any countries or places that have not had a single untapped check-in. What do you think? Not a single un... I mean, I would have said... I mean, Fairbanks felt like it was kind of way far north, somewhere maybe in the Arctic Circle, um, maybe one of the oil industry towns sort of like way, way, way north in Alaska, somewhere like that. It's like somewhere super, super remote. So, uh, I did not, I admittedly, I did not crunch a ton of data on this. Um, this is just kind of a fairly obvious answer. Um, you were, you were close just on the opposite pole. You should try going down South. All the way down to? All the way down in Antarctica. Okay. So d- there are, I, I actually recently, speaking of podcasts, I recently listened to a 30 for 30 with a bunch of folks who took a trip to Antarctica to go to a uh, like a, a science camp like a a place where they're trying to pick up a bunch of meteorites that that fall to the earth and that kind of land down in that area and it sounds so remote so cold way colder obviously than than anywhere that i went i'm picturing penguins penguins with smartphones though Okay, no, checking no? checking in. Okay, no, prob- no, probably no. not. No. All right. I, I assume there's no breweries in Antarctica mm, either. No. Okay. So according to our uh, according to our data, that is the biggest region that has no check-ins whatsoever. Which I mean makes sense unless somebody's going to drag their phone sat their sat phone down there and hook up. I and speaking of you know taking trips, um, my wife has actually been looking into bucket list uh, taking a science cruise down there. It's actually th- there is a legitimate, fairly luxury cruise that will actually take you from South America down into Antarctica, and you can get off the boat, uh, weather permitting, and actually go down and do activities and explore with a guide um, on the ice. You actually have to pack extra clothes to take with you in case something happens and you get stuck there. Uh, but it sounds phenomenal and it is definitely on the bucket list, but there are no check-ins there. So somebody, somebody please change this so that we can say that we have the entire world covered. <laughs> well, uh, there are beers that kind of, I would say adjacently have the world covered here. Uh, Asheville Brewing Company created something called the Antarctica IPA. It's a white IPA funny clever uh from their around the world in seven ipas series pretty clever you are all about the puns it, so it, yeah pretty good this is right? right up your alley pretty great I, I i like that there are beers named for it but obviously all right so new, beers new, to have there. new challenge you need to get one of those antarctica ipas you need take to it take to- it to antarctica <laughs> You need to check in and become the first ever check-in. No longer in production, unfortunately. Oh. Sad. Missed opportunity. Moa Brewing also makes uh, a white lager 
called Antarctica, which is pretty cool. Comes in a bottle. That one's actually still in production. Bottle conditioned with wine yeast. Pretty cool. That sounds, that sounds pretty tasty. That might be something that you can take down with you and, yeah. and check in. Yeah. Before we leave you today, just a quick reminder of our book giveaway. If you did not listen to episode one, we took a look at The Scratch and Sniff Guide to Beer. It is a very interesting book. It covers beer history, beer ingredients. Um, it's very beautifully laid out, and it actually comes with little stickers throughout the book to give your nose a sense of what you should be smelling when you are smelling different ingredients. kind of guides you through that whole sensory process. Uh, we have a copy here. We are giving it away to one lucky listener. Uh, the contest is still open. You have one more week to enter. We will be choosing a winner March 27th. In order to enter, you can head over to podcast.untapped.com. Check out the show notes for either episode one or this episode, and uh, you will follow the link, uh, enter in your email and name, and we will pick one random listener to get this book. Uh, We will let you know in a future episode if you have won. This contest is only available to our U.S. listeners, so good luck and get your entries in before March 27th. That does it for this episode of Drinking Socially, the official Untapped podcast. Show notes for this episode are available at podcast.untapped.com. If you have any feedback, questions, comments, anything of that sort, feel free to connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We are at Untapped. And we would also appreciate a rating and review on the Apple Podcasts app. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, or even if you aren't, if you go over to podcast.untapped.com, if you click on the Apple Podcasts link and leave a rating or review, we really appreciate it. It does help others find the show. Until next time. Cheers. Cheers.